everyone. Welcome to Becoming Divine. My name is Julia Wesley. I am a professional medium and a channel for my guides. And today I have very special guest, Rebecca Preen with us. She is a spiritual teacher, an artist, and an attorney. And she's helped hundreds of business owners create unique, profitable offerings using their creative, spiritual, and professional gifts. So Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Julia. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So I find it really interesting that you are a spiritual teacher, an artist, and an attorney, because we were talking a little bit earlier, those things seem contradictory, but I think what's really cool about what you do is that your whole thing is wholeness and how none of that is contradictory. Yeah. And so, you know, my path has been a lot about those things being contradictory and feeling like I was a walking contradiction or always feeling like I had one foot in one world and one foot in another or one foot in one way of being and one foot in another way of being. And in fact, you know, I actually had people say to me, fellow lawyers, when I was working at a large firm, I had a piece of my artwork in my office and someone came and commented on it. And anyway, came through the conversation that Yes, it was actually my piece of art. I was actually the artist as well as the owner of the piece of work. And she literally, she turned at me and said, well, that is such an odd way for a brain to work. <laughs> I thought, okay, or unusual <laughs> way for a brain to work. And I thought, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm trying to figure out. That's what I'm trying to navigate how do I bring all of this? How do I bring both of these things, right, to yeah. the world, to my life? How do I live out both of these things? How do I utilize each of these or all of these capacities? Is there a way to be all of it and to use all of it and to offer all of it? So I've been asking and answering that question for myself for a very long time. Also, integrated into this is, you know, it's interesting as I look back that I've been in spiritual practice, like I've been a spiritual practitioner just slightly longer than I've been a lawyer. So right at the beginning of my last semester in law school, because I had damaged my knees. So I had taken up yoga at a gym and my brother had given me a meditation book because I had been <sighs> doing these exercises. I had been exercising so hard to manage stress. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, you really need this. <laughs> I can't remember why he had bought it. Matt Hahn. Oh, love him. Yeah. So that was my first introduction to meditation. So as I think back, yes, being in spiritual life or tending to my spiritual life has been intricately and intimately intertwined with being a lawyer all the time because I haven't known that much else. Yeah, I love that. I haven't known much else. I, I That's so indicative of just who we are as people. I think sometimes if we like extrapolate who we are and try and piecemeal little parts of ourselves off and isolate them, we look at them separately and we're like, this can't be right. You know, like none of this seems to go. But it's when you finally put it back together that you're like, oh, that makes, of course, that goes together. And so that makes me wonder if you find that the same part of you that made these like beautiful paintings, if you use that same part of you in just a different way in your attorney life. Probably. First, I want to comment on what you said about if we extrapolate, things seem not to fit together. But if we look at them 
as a whole, we have the sense of, oh yeah, that makes total sense. And it does because it's yeah. in us and what I've seen, what I've found for myself. And then in working with people, what I hear and see again and again is our compartmentalization or more often our valuing of one set of skills, talents, desires over another set creates this false separation. Whereas what we're really doing is it all exists together anyway. And we already know on some level what to do with that because we are that. Yeah. Culturally, we don't know how to ask the right questions around that, particularly as it relates to pursuing a vocation mm -hmm. or entering a profession or deciding what we do. Mm -hmm. We don't usually bring those qualities, the whole of those qualities to answering that question. We usually ask questions like, what do you like? Or what are you trained in? Or what are you good at? We don't go back, like we don't ratchet it back to, wait a minute, what do I do innately? And how do those qualities exist across everything I do? Yes. Um, so that's one of the things that I bring people back to doing. And it's actually surprisingly both simple and really challenging because we have been separated from that. Because most of us, what we do innately, we don't see as a skill or a talent or something that we put to use in service of work or as a part of our vocational pursuits, because it's so innate to us. It's so endemic that it loses its value because yeah. we're so, we, we, it's just the way we are. So we think yes. everybody's like that. Yes. Um, so the <laughs> example I always give when I teach on this is one of those qualities for me is listening. I'm a very auditory and verbal person. I'm mm -hmm. an, an auditory learner. So I learned by listening. And then that innate skill has been enhanced by being trained as a lawyer, you know, negotiating. And then again, being trained through spiritual practice to listen at subtler and subtler levels so that I'm listening at the subtle energy level as well mm -hmm. as at the sound gross energy level. But the funny story that I tell is that when I got married, my brother stood up to say a few words at the rehearsal dinner before my wedding. And he started in about how closely and intently I listen. And I was, this is the funny part. I was sitting there going, this is the weirdest speech I have ever heard. Like, <laughs> why is he talking about this? This is like, yeah. thanks a lot. Like, kind of like, this is all he had to say about me. Like, <laughs> I, and so anyway, you know, go through his story. His point was she listens like, in a way, other people don't listen. And she actually really hears you. Mm. And then he said, but this is a phenomenal part. She remembers and she brings up to you something that you can't even remember you talked about like two years later <laughs> in a conversation that's completely related where it's exactly what you need to hear. And he, so his point was, that's how much she cares. But if I think about it, so that that quality of that ability to listen mm -hmm. and hear people clearly and then remember and bring it up at the point at which it's useful. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that quality runs through everything that I do. It's a quality that's 
highly valuable in being an attorney. It's also a quality that's highly valuable in being a spiritual teacher and being a business advisor and being a spouse and being a friend and a sibling. That's my example. But you don't go out thinking, I'm going to get a job or I'm going to build a career or I'm going to build a business around listening. Like right. We don't think that way. Mm -hmm. But to bring the wholeness to it, we need to take a step back and begin to reconnect ourselves with those qualities within ourselves, because we can begin to see that innate wholeness and the pattern that's naturally there. Yes. I love how you put that. And I didn't expect to talk about this, but this is actually exactly what Surprise. I teach as well. Yeah, no, I love it. My favorite. So it's funny. I was taking the same approach. So when I first got into doing what I was doing. I also got into it through yoga and meditation, oddly enough, and I did it to heal stress and other mental health issues like depression and anxiety. When I finally realized I had access to people who had more answers than I did, like my guides, I was like, great, tell me who I am. What am I supposed to be? And they spent forever because I resisted this lesson for a very long time being like, no, it's who are you? And then we try and create something that fits who you are so that you can express the totality of you. So they would give me examples of, well, you really like to learn or you really like to teach and you enjoy mysteries. And I'm like, no, tell me I'm supposed to be a banker, you know, like tell me I'm yeah. supposed to be a NASCAR driver. Give me, some, <laughs> give me like a box I can fit into. And that's funny because the example I give as well is I'm like, see, when you're a teacher, that's just an energy that you run all the time, right? So a second grade teacher is a teacher when they're not on the clock. It's just an expression of who they are and they have found a job that currently exists that fits them. I just, I think it's funny how those two things are exactly the same, what you're talking about when I'm talking about. Yeah, because it's universally true. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how we begin to witness universal truths. That's mm -hmm. how we know something is that, people come to the same types of experience, same type of approach, same type of discerned wisdom from different paths. Right. When you can get there from different paths, you start to go, oh, wow, that seems to be a state of the human condition. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I laugh to myself, not out loud. <laughs> I'll laugh out loud now when you use the example of a second grade teacher because my mother is literally or was literally a second grade teacher. So I could say to you that, yes, literally that is true. My mother was a second grade teacher for 30 years. Oh, wow. She's a second grade teacher every day of her life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's so true, right? Because it's just an expression. It's part of your, well, I was going to say part of your wholeness, which is contradictory. But whenever I have someone come to me, because I, I do life purpose readings and it's sort of my sneaky way of getting them to be like, no, we're talking about who you are as an energetic expression. That's your purpose. Your purpose is to figure out how to express who you are, even if it seems like it doesn't fit, even if it seems contradictory, like to say, be an artist and an attorney. And to, and to find a way to, to meld that and to create something that is a, an expression of you that will support you. Like that's the fun stuff, right? That's where it gets cool and exciting to be a human, to be who you are and then to be able to express that and to have the universe support you. That's magic, I think. Mm -hmm. It is. 
And it ironically seems to be the biggest challenge for each of us. I mean, and I say ironic, and yet it's not. It's also a reason we're here. Mm -hmm. I agree. And so as someone who helps people, is it that you help people create businesses based around that energy of who they are? Or do you just help make their ideas profitable? What does that kind of work look like for you? There's a couple different aspects to it. Primarily, it can come in the form of how does someone who has had a professional life for 20 years, but also had less expressed parts of themselves, creative aspects to themselves or spiritual practice aspect of themselves, who now realizes there needs to be a shift in their professional life, in how they're doing it, in what they're offering. So it comes to getting clarity around how do all these things come together for you? And what does that mean that you're going to offer as work in the world? Now, related to that, there's a number of different things that we work on. One is you know, rooting downward. I found that most of us, most business owners, most entrepreneurs, we operate from about the rib cage up. Mm. We're leaning forward a lot. One fun thing for everyone who's listening to do might be to stand up right now or even where you're seated and mm -hmm. just notice what your posture is. Like, are yeah. you somebody who leans forward a lot in life or are you somebody who leans back on their heels? It probably tells you a lot about how you energetically approach things. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a friend who reflected to me and I don't remember how she came to this realization that she was leaning back all the time and she was digging in her heels and mm. she was really stuck. This was somebody who had a lot of stuck and stagnant energy, like took a long time to make decisions, procrastinated about anything that she wanted to do, that kind of stuff. Like not a lot of engagement or forward motion that really was challenging for her. Right. Particularly at this period of her life. And so she realized that. And I thought, that is so interesting. That is. And like super useful. And so then I started observing myself and realized that I actually lean forward. And my head and my face and my neck and my head are usually in front of the rest of my body. Like yeah. I'm doing it now as I'm talking to, as I'm <laughs> Me <too>. talking to <laughs> you. As yeah. you're saying it, I'm like, darn. I, have, I end up having a lot of neck and shoulder issues because of it. But also I've realized that in it, this has really come to light in 11 years of being a solo business owner. And that is, I also expend a lot of extra energy that doesn't necessarily move things forward. Ain't um, that the truth. And it's kind of hard to be still a little bit. And mm -hmm. so there's that, like, if I'm doing something, then I must be productive, right? Like that right. I must be what is creating a result is this forward engagement and this constant ideation and creation. And that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> and so I used to have a business model where I was recreating stuff all the time. Yes. And I don't have that business model anymore. I have a very long standing, like very slow cycle, rhythmic business model now because that supports the kind of fast energy of my mind from 
burning out quickly. So some of the aspects are to the profitability and the stability of people's work and businesses is what at one point I used to call energetically attuned earning. Back to your point of the energy that is you, is this business model actually conducive and supportive and balancing of the energy that is you? That's a revolutionary idea. Coming from a capitalistic society, our life force energy is used to fuel the engine of the business and not the other way around. That the business is to support us instead of us. Or that there can be a symbiotic relationship with that. That there can be an equilibrium. That the model doesn't have to burn you out all the time. And believe me, I came to this from the point of view of having been burnt out all the time. So I would go through this period of time. Well, first of all, when I was an attorney working for someone else, Mm. I worked a lot. And so Mm. there was a lot of constant work. And so I came into owning my own practice, thinking that that was what needed to happen in order to run a practice and ended up working harder in my practice than I had in many, many years working in practice elsewhere. But what ended up happening is I'd work really hard. I'd put a lot of stuff in. I'd bring in client work. And so I'd have bring in a bunch of money and then I'd literally be on my back in pain. And Mm -hmm. then I would spend the money getting well and the time getting well. And then I'd have to figure out how to execute the work for my clients. And then the cycle would start over again. And so I never felt like I was ever getting anywhere, either financially or with my health. So it was like, what's happening here? I found that most of the models that are taught are models that work for a particular dynamic of person, right? You know, Ayurveda has an energetic explanation for that. It has a blueprint. You have a type, your biology and your biochemistry has an energetic pattern to it. And there are characteristics to that pattern. And what I see still is that most of the business models, most of the marketing models that are taught are aimed at one particular energy blueprint. So it's like really exciting for people who are what's called a pit type, who are focused and structured and intense, put 125% into something and then stop. So it's all or nothing for them. Right. And so you see these launch models where you do a big to do and hopefully bring in the money that you need to bring in. And then there's a downfall and then you wait some time and then you do another launch. Mm -hmm. Right. That's typically what's being taught. Exhausting. Um, But it's exhausting and people are burnt out. And so one of the things that people come to me saying, particularly recently, like this past fall has been that they're depleted, Mm -hmm. that the work of their work is, yeah. is depleting and that their energy is demanded in all kinds of different places in a way that feels like I described, which is that they're kind of spinning their wheels, that they're expending a lot of energy, but there's not a lot, necessarily a lot happening for that. Or I used to feel this way that I would expend a lot of energy and not really get the energy back. I'd be like, I, I didn't really get the reward for what I for what I just put out. So people come with that kind of depletion. And so one of the things we do is we do practices 
we're actually pulling their energy in. So there's a way in which you can probably feel this. You know, you know what it feels like when your energy or your focus is really scattered or when you're mm-hmm. not well boundaryed, let's say. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So we do practices that root them down into the earth and gauge their center, fire up the fire of their will and their power. And what it ends up doing is it ends up creating an, an, their own energetic container so that their energy is strong and well-boundaried. I describe it as going up and down as opposed to banging around the room. And then what we're able to do is say, okay, now from here, from your own center, right? What rhythm is right for you? Where are you naturally acting? How much energy do you actively naturally have to give? Because you can take that as an internal organizing structure to what you offer and how often you offer and how much you have to charge and how you're going to set up your marketing. You can use that, right? Your own rhythm of energy, Mm -hmm. how much you are engaged, how much you need to rest as the basis for what does my business model need to look like? This is probably why we were talking about the leaning forward of your energy, spinning your wheels. I'm very much that kind of person as well. And I had recently yeah. realized that, well, I'm expending a lot of energy, but it seems as if all of this energy I'm expending is just pushing everything away. Like I'm creating more work for myself before I'm allowed to get my re- reward, quote unquote. And I realized that it was the way that I was relating to work my belief about it was that it was supposed to be structured and difficult and stressful. And so that's how I was relating to it. And that's how my work was coming to me. (laughs) I was literally creating it that way. And I love how you teach people to go and to ground because wealth and abundance, at least in physicality, literally comes from the earth. Like our money is backed by gold, theoretically at least. It's backed by gold, which is of the earth. So the more that we're able to get into the joy for our physicality, to get into that root chakra, connect in with Mama Gaia, you're going to feel supported (laughs) and you're going to be supported. And I love how you're teaching people to connect into their own internal rhythms, like literally working with themselves to build a business, which is like an extension of them. Yes. And at the same time to know that it's not them, right? So there's this place where you have to do this dance of going, oh, wait, but it's not me. It's its own thing that stands on its own. Hero Boga, I don't know if you know of her or are connected to her, but she's a beautiful teacher about this, that your work and and your business has its own energy pattern. And what I'm getting to is, yes, we use that to create a model. And then the next thing is we also do practices to detach from it. So the other reason that people get depleted is because we're attached to and we're taking in a lot of times all of the energy that our clients and everyone else around us are bringing to something. Mm-hmm. So another piece of work that I do with people is, okay, how do they detach from, I I should describe it differently. A client recently asked me, can you explain how you're using the word detached? So I realized that I need to back up a little bit in this work with people. What I mean is how do you not take on what people are throwing off? (laughs) When you're the one they come to for this transformation, Mm -hmm. if you're the one they come to when they're under stress, 
or falling apart? How do you hold that space for them and not become enmeshed either emotionally, energetically, mentally? So you're not carrying that weight forward with yourself because it piles up and it adds to the depletion. So I've spoken with people that have been, say, in let's call it caretaking industries, but industries are professions where people are either in traumatic or coming out of traumatic situations or under a lot of stress. So a couple of people I'm thinking of right now, were both in mental health fields, Mm -hmm. 25 years of being, being therapists or the like. And there was just this heaviness of energy that they brought. And I couldn't quite at first understand what it was, but I think that it had a lot to do with how much they have taken on for and with other people just by virtue of their profession, because they're not necessarily trained on an energetic level, how to release that energy or not take it on in the first place. Same thing with lawyers. It can be true for lawyers that we work with people who are in stressful situations and they don't have anywhere to put their stress except for in their conversation with us. And then they're not happy with what's going on. And then they're not happy with the outcome. And then they're not happy with the bill. A lot of lawyers find themselves in that situation, which you can imagine. And then we have an ethical obligation not to share that with anyone else. So the buck stops with us, much mm-hmm. like the buck stops with those who are in the mental health field. But we're definitely not trained for it. We are absolutely not trained psychologically, emotionally, or energetically on how to metabolize that. So one of the things that we do is work with clients on, okay, how do they detach and metabolize? Which is really mm-hmm. like being in a space of witnessing as opposed to being in a space of taking on. I think that's where it gets really practical. Yeah. In terms of energy, I use the term woo just because everyone knows what I'm talking about when I say that word. But it also comes with this connotation of, well, it's unrealistic, it's crazy, it's not real. But this is when it gets practical. If you're someone who's in the caretaker position or Mm -hmm. someone who is a therapist or is an attorney and your job is hard, maybe you're in law enforcement in some way and maybe you're a detective and you're really dealing with gritty, dirty stuff every day. A good example. That's a really practical, important thing to do is to figure out how do I manage my energy? How do I disconnect from other people's energy? What is that even like? And I I recently had someone ask me, it was like, how is this practical? And I was like, well, thank you for asking. Let me tell you. And I think this is why this isn't just for psychics and mediums and spiritual teachers and artists. Everyone needs to know how to do this. And I just really like how you said metabolize it. Because I think people who might consider themselves to be empaths or just even sensitive in general, there's a real martyr complex where I will suffer for someone so that their suffering will be less. And I think, I have a suspicion that perhaps energetically untrained mental health professionals may do this a little bit. And this is why being so aware of your energy is going to be incredibly helpful and practical. Yes, I agree. And I agree with the quote empath part of it Mm -hmm. and what I would agree with without trying to sound too harsh is that I think that that's what it is there is an openness an ability Mm -hmm. to perceive I'll just speak from my own experience there's an ability to perceive in ways that we don't even know we are perceiving and therefore 
the boundary is permeable. And it's because we're not trained in how to navigate that and how to metabolize it. And we're not trained in discerning and creating the reality, the, the beingness where we are actually separate from what's happening over there. And so it's not that this is not real for people, right? It's just that the story doesn't end at, oh, I'm an empath. So I can hear, I can feel everything that everybody else is feeling. Mm -hmm. um, okay. <laughs> why would you, you know what I mean? Like, what good is that? <laughs> why would you yeah. want to do? So I agree with you to those who are just encountering it for the first time. Sound kind of harsh, but I saw somebody say, hey, you know, it's not that you're an empath. It's that you're unboundaried. But uh -huh. I think when you put it in this context, that is true. It's a skill that we are not readily taught, but that is highly, highly useful, particularly if you find yourself to be somebody who's a highly sensitive person, which mm -hmm. I do believe is a oh, psychologically technical term yeah. um, at this point in time. The other thing I was going to say when you were talking about things being practical is yes, for everyone and comes to that third prong about the work that I do with people and that is, it gets to be really practical as a way to also make decisions mm. about your business. So yeah. not just decisions about, oh, this is who I really am. And I'm going to come from that in what I do. And one of the things we do is ask, okay, what are you aiming at? One way to integrate all of yourself is define the focus that you're aiming, your creativity, your spirituality, and your professional training at. Are you aiming mm -hmm. it all at the same end? So not only can this give you wisdom that bubbles up from inside internally about how you actually are, but you can use it as a decision-making tool. You commented when we talked the other day that you love that I had described myself as a, a master of both strategy and spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And the way I think about those things are in relationship to each other, what you understand about strategy, how you've engaged in it, what your experience around strategy in your business is, the knowledge base you have, the training you have actually informs the intuition you're able to receive and yes. cultivate and execute mm -hmm. on, yeah. right? Yeah. And then the intuition then garners that feeling of, oh, you know, huh, this is really tapping on my shoulder or nagging at me or however you experience it. That makes you go and investigate sometimes other strategies. And so one informs the other. It's not yeah. that they're in a vacuum from each other and that your intuition is completely detached and devoid mm -hmm. of the practicalities of strategy. Mm -hmm. No, because all that's packed in there, in the field, right? <laughs> right. In, in your conscience and your subconscious and the field of knowledge that your intuition exists in. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's interesting that it's becoming more and more common to meld these two things together. But I find it interesting that we culturally as humans have decided to, to separate them out because they're more useful together. Exactly. I... I love how you keep putting this it, because the way that you're describing it and the way that it is, is so intensely practical that it's literally like we're hobbling ourselves going through life saying that I'm actually not going to use my intuition to inform my strategy within life. 
my intuition is always active and online, but I'm just not going to pay attention to it because I can't empirically prove it, yada, yada. I'm not supposed to be able to do it. And it's so that lends us that I'm stumbling around through life kind of feeling. And I'm not saying that as soon as you tune into your intuition, everything is sunshine and roses, but it'll be easier. (laughs) Things will not be so stressful. And again, back to that practicality sort of thing, your beliefs literally do inform the way that you relate to everything, the way that you interact with anything. If you have a belief that money is supposed to be stressful, the way that you interact with money is going to be very stressful. And that's how practical this stuff is. So I love the energy that you bring to this, the mindset that you bring to this, I think is what I'm getting at. And it's nice that you're an attorney because if you're someone who's listening to this and you're struggling with this concept, to hear someone like you who's so educated and who has so much experience with perhaps the left brain side of things as well as the right brain side of things, bringing that together and saying, hey, I'm not crazy. I'm making this work for me. I think that helps other people examine themselves and be like, well, all right. So I've just been putting this thought and this belief on the back burner, silently letting it simmer and be resentful of it. But what if I engaged with this belief and I don't know, maybe changed it, see what changes? I think that's really practical. I think it's useful. It is. So if you have knowing, I call it knowing, whether you call it intuition, whether it's source, spirit, the universe, when you're connected in that way and you receive that wisdom and then you say, no, that can't be right. And what you're doing in a very real way is rejecting yourself. Mm -hmm. You're saying I'm wrong in some way. This thing that's external to me is right. And so I'm going to take that above what I know. And so it is a way of rejecting yourself and reaching for something that is outside of yourself as the authority for you. Yes. And so in that way, (laughs) it's very practical also. And that really tends to land for people. Like Mm -hmm. when they get that recognition of, oh boy, wow, okay. In a real way, I'm saying no to me. I talked earlier about valuing some qualities or attributes or skills higher than others. We can devalue ourselves and our own knowing wisdom in that way, our own decision-making process for external modes of decision-making because they've been somehow externally validated. And what it ends up for many people leading to is this kind of downward spiral effect to a feeling of frustration or confusion or depression or anxiety or just kind of being lost to themselves. That feeling of what what am I doing? Where is there any meaning in this? Mm -hmm. How do I have any agency? Yeah. And I know actually for it to be true, the thing about giving away your authority to someone else is a large part of my work because it's how I got into this work. I had given away so much of my authority to society, other people, friends, whoever, things that I knew to be true for me that were Mm -hmm. central to who I am, my makeup, my identity, what I like, what I don't like, things like that. And I had listened to society, other people, media, tell me that those things, that's not true, that can't be 
That's not how that works. That's not how that goes. And I had sort of believed that to the point I had given my authority away, stopped listening to what I knew was right for me, and then accepted someone else's idea of what that was. And I had, you know, ground myself into a state of anxiety and depression that literally took me years to dig my way out of. And when we're talking about something like giving away your authority, that's kind of how dangerous it is. (laughs) Not to make it sound, you know, life or death, but to invalidate yourself in that way, to seek outside validation to who you are, it's so corrosive to your own, well, your own inner divinity. You are the first and last say on who you are. Yes, exactly. And it's also elusive. It's not ever stable. It's it's ever changing. You get in that state of you need more of it. So there's kind of a constant reaching, grasping experience. And I want to be mindful of your time, but there is one other topic that I wanted to sort of get back to. So there's this idea of work-life balance. That's how people deal with having jobs that they hate, right? They try and balance it with, you know, outside work life, going on vacations, yada, yada. And so I think when people who are going into a spiritual business or are just trying to incorporate a more holistic mindset into the way that they do work is part of what that burnout was, was trying to maintain that work-life balance because they're like, I hate eight hours of my day. I hate Mm -hmm. it. It's so exhausting that balance looks like going home and sleeping for 12 hours. You know, like how is that balance? And so I think when you get into like a spiritually based business and you have this idea that this can't be separate, this can't be a separate part of me. And so where is that balance, right? Because if you are your business and everything it's supposed to be an expression of you. Do you run into or do you work with people sometimes who just have this belief that finding any type of balance or finding any type of separation within my business from me is just so anathema to what they think they need to create? And how do you help coach people away from that ledge? Hmm. I think that I do encounter tales of constant doing. Mm-hmm. And when not doing the mental pressure to be doing. So I I think what it comes back to from my perspective is returning again to that innate rhythm that exists. So back to your innate rhythm, innate brilliance. Mm. Mm. Another one of my innate brilliance is, is seeing the structure of things. So the organic composition of something. How does this have its own structure? Somehow I seem to be able to feel or see into that for myself and for other people. And so to know that each of us has our own internal structuring mechanism that goes along with our energetic pattern. So how we are as an energetic being has in it an organic structuring, a pattern to it. Mm -hmm. We have a rhythm at which we like to work at and play at and do various things at. And so when we connect in with that and follow it and allow it to structure how we structure our work, how we structure our business model, how we structure our time, we we start to move out of that idea of balance at all. 
So it doesn't become any more balancing. Like there's these two things that you put on a scale and they have to be even in order for it to work. Like, I think that is an perhaps intentionally false construct. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be balanced because we're not really balanced people, but we can come into like our natural state of equilibrium Yeah, where we are what's right for us and Mm -hmm. we're intentionally directing our energy in a way that keeps us in equilibrium more or less mm-hmm. and that might not look like balance at all to other people yeah but it feels supportive to us and it is actually supportive of our nature and so when it's supportive of our nature that's kind of how we know you know it can be more or less supportive of our finances at different times that's an ebb and flow also you know, this kind of organic, this internal innate organizing mechanism that we have for ourselves will lead us to what the equilibrium looks like for us. How much play, what kind of play, how much work, what kind of work, Mm. you know, with whom, Mm -hmm. in what kind of groups, you know, what time of the day, how many times a week, you know, these are questions we try and answer from the perspective of our mind or strategy right? Like kind of strategic planning (laughs) is rooted (laughs) in this idea. And again, I'm asking people to flip that on its head and say, let's start with yourself. Let's start with rooting, connecting to the earth. Let's engage our bodies, our energy, and let's let our knowing of ourselves well up and over into how we do things let it lead us and you know people understand that I mean I'll just give the example that my husband and I were visiting my parents last weekend you know my dad was commenting about how my mom seems to be able to get all these things done in a day and a week and he can't and then my husband chimed in and commented about how he and I are so different like he likes much longer periods of like steady work on a single project. That makes me crazy. I get completely burnt out. I used to think, especially being a lawyer, I used to think that that was what I needed to do, that that was like the right way or the productive way, or just Mm -hmm. what had to be done to get things accomplished instead of trying to like lean back into my own rhythm. And it took a lot of years and I'm still practicing at it really But to go, oh, that's not really the way I work. Like, I'm not really built that way. So I have to, like, give myself a lot of time if I know there's a, quote, deadline or sometime I want to offer something Mm -hmm. or I have to get something done, say, for a client in the law practice. I have to give myself enough time so that I can spend two hours on it here and an hour on it there, right? Right. And then spend an hour on something else in between. And so I have to have that variety and rhythm. And if I don't, where I get caught is when things have to be done in the web universe. So when things are like opt-in pages or newsletters or updating the website or that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. somehow I think this is just going to be done and I end up throwing myself into it and having to work at the single task for substantially longer than I intend. And I always wind up highly irritated or angry, hungry, depleted, (laughs) like not sleeping well, like Mm -hmm. all the things like completely out of balance, you know, we're built a certain way. 
and yeah. it's best if we go along with that rather than fight it. And yet there are many forces culturally that are asking us to fight it or that tell us that that's the position that we need to be in. And so there is, there's an unwinding of that. There's an unlearning. There's a grief. There can mm. be a grieving process that goes along with that. Yeah. Then on the other side, I'm coming in with the cultivation of that, that trust that, oh, I can trust myself in this. Oh, I can trust my body in this. Mm-hmm. Right. When it's telling me it's tired, it's tired. Yeah. I love that. I feel you on the grief thing. That was something I didn't expect. Yeah. A lot of people don't expect it. Yeah. We think that if we, again, it's like, it's funny doing this work, both my own spiritual life, but also bringing it into how I run my businesses and then working with other people on that. It's so interesting because it reveals these little pockets of what's unspoken in our culture. I don't think it's that nobody knows it's there. It's somehow that lineage of knowledge, the lineage of wisdom has been broken or silenced. So it surprises a lot of us that when we actually step toward and into something that we think oh my gosh, this is going to be great. Mm -hmm. And then we're hit with these emotions that are like, not great. (laughs) (laughs) We we experience grief of the loss of something or a way of being that didn't even work for us or that we didn't even want. Yeah. And that we had taken on, but we grieve it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of funny when I quit my regular nine to five to do what I do now, there was a stretch of time where I'm like, I'm excited to do this. I mean, I'm scared, but I'm excited. But I spent like two months on the couch and it took me a while to be like, oh, I'm grieving, you know, like I was working, but then I would spend any time I wasn't working on the couch. I'm like, what's wrong with me? What's, what is this? You know, and it was so unexpected that it took me two months to figure out that it was grief. And I didn't expect it because I was so angry at my previous job and the previous paradigm that I was part of that I thought I was going to be, you know, like I'm just taking the leap and it really wasn't. And it threw me. It did. So thank you for bringing that up because I think that would throw a lot of people who wouldn't expect to grieve something that they hated. Exactly. And then we think there's something wrong. We can have some more compassion yeah. For ourselves and also just let it be part of the process rather than being resistant to it or again thinking like there's something wrong. I didn't have anyone to warn me that I was going to experience grief when I did that. So heads up everyone. <laughs> that could be a possibility. But thank you so much, Rebecca, for speaking with us and sharing your knowledge and wisdom. Would you mind telling everyone how they can get in touch with you and how they can work with you? Sure. Thanks for having me. And I'd love to, you know, I offer a free five day practice. The practice is aimed at unwinding confusion. So it's aimed at that thing that you're like, oh my God, this again, like the thing that keeps coming up and up and up that keeps us from moving forward with what we want to do. And you can find that at ompreneur.com forward slash this dash again. Perfect. Well, I will have all of the links in the episode notes and thank you so much again. All right. That's it, everyone. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.